Good morning, good morning, good morning. Because we have the question box sermon happening today, I found a whole bunch of songs that have to do with either questions or answers from various decades. And so this first one, many of you will recognize from the 60s from Bob Dylan. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. How many roads must a man walk down before they call him a man? And how many seas must a white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? How many times must the cannonballs fly before they're forever banned. Sing with me. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. How many years can a mountain exist before it's washed to the sea? And how many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? How many times can one turn their head pretending that they never see? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the answer is blowing in the wind. How many times must one look up before they can see the sky? And how many ears must one person have before they can hear people cry? And how many deaths will it take till they know that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer blowing in the wind. Ah, Bob Dylan. This next song is more about answers than questions. It's called The Garden, written by Peter Mayer. And when you see someone writing a song about the garden, you think, oh, no, is he talking about the Garden of Eden? No, he's talking about the regular old background garden, the kind that people have the little statues in, and some people have a gnome, or some people have a Virgin Mary, and some people have Buddha. Well, apparently Peter Mayer's garden has all of them, all of the garden statuary, and in this song they're having a conversation about how things grow in the spring. So this is all of the garden statuary in the garden. Cherubim, the virgin. 
Virgin Mary, the Buddha and the garden gnome, all the garden statuary talked in spring of how things grow. From compassion, Mary said, the Lord above. Gnome replied, it must be magic. Cherub sighed, it must be love. Francis in the corner spoke up at the gathering. Peace, he said, is most important. Peace for all the living things. And the stars burned, and the earth turned, and the sun shone down. in the warming ground. And St. Francis stood entranced as cherub watched, beguiled. Gnome's hands lay on his sharp spade Mary gave thanks and Buddha smiled. That's Peter Mayer. One of my favorite, 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 favorite Unitarian Universalist composers and songwriters. This last one in The Gathering Music is um, a song written by Nick Lowe, but covered by a number of other artists. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? And the version that I've been listening to a lot is by Keb Moe. He's got a super funky version, and um, I can't begin to match his guitar playing on the, on the piano, but I'll do my best. So what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding?
As I walk through this wicked world, searching for light in the darkness of insanity, I ask myself, is all hope lost? Is there only pain and hatred and misery? Cause each time I feel like this inside, there's one thing I wanna know. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Oh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? As I walk on through troubled times, my spirit gets so downhearted sometimes. Where are the strong? And where are the trusted? And where is the harmony, sweet harmony? Cause each time I feel it slip away, just makes me want to cry. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Oh, What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Where are the strong? And who are the trusted? And where is harm? Sweet harmony Cause each time I feel it slip away Just makes me want to cry What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Oh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Oh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? invite you to rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. Because each time I feel like this inside, there's one thing I want to know. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Oh. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? This is the home that love made. It is full of the love that the founders felt when they planned out these walls and raised these beams among us. This is the home that love made. It is full of the love of all who have worshipped here, those who have celebrated and grieved here, the babies dedicated, the couples married, the family members mourned here. This is the home that love made. It is full of the love of our children as they learn and laugh together and our youth as they grow into their own sense of purpose and meaning. This is the home that love made. It is full of the love of the staff who have served it, full, full of their hopes for this congregation, their hard work and their acts of dedication. This is the home that love made. It's full of the love of the choir, 
the love made so clear in the voices lifted here on Sunday morning. This is the home that love made. It is full of our love, the love of this community. Despite our differences and our disagreements, the love that holds us together as a people. This is the home that love made. In this home that love made, we kindle this chalice and remember the generations of people who are our ancestors in this church and remember the generation of people who are our descendants. Let us worship together. One twelve in the gray hymnal, number one twelve. Do you hear, O oh my friend, in the place where you stand? Do you hear? Do you hear? Please be seated. Good morning. I'm your worship leader, Kristen Satterley, and I'm so pleased to say hello to each of you today. Whoever and wherever you are here in the sanctuary or in our family room, we are so glad you are here in this congregation connected by love. Take a moment to notice the people near you or far away and the energy that swirls among and connects us all. A special hello to our small folks. Thank you for bringing your families today. <laughs> we have special spaces for you, and of course you are also welcome to just be in the congregation like everybody else. A playground right here down here with the best view in the house and a soft rug and toys. And there's an activity table in the back with coloring and, and fun things like that. The family room across the hall has comfy chairs for your grown-ups and lots of room to play and a newly installed heater so you'll be nice and warm and cozy in there. Wherever you want to be, we are delighted to have you here. We in this congregation are one people of many beliefs, each with our own story. Come together to share this worshipful time. We bring our holy, sacred, whole selves to this moment together, beloved for who we really are. 
all are welcome here. Truly, truly. Good morning. We're going to do our service in a slightly different order today. I want to draw your attention to the pledge cards you probably noticed are in your order of service today. I'm going to take a few minutes, Bob and I together, we're going to take a few minutes to tell you about where we're at today as we get ready for this afternoon's annual meeting. Um, and then we're going to collect the offering earlier than usual before we get on with the rest of the service. Um, and then at the end, uh, after we talk with you about all of this, um, at the end of the service, volunteers will add up today's collection and we'll be able to give you an update at the very end. So we're gonna talk about our operating budget and about um, pledging and just where things are at. If you are a new visitor today, if you haven't been here much, um, or if this is your first time, you are our guest. You can take that pledge form and fold an origami crane <laughs> or draw a doodle. <laughs> We're glad you're here. And I think uh, we, we don't expect any pledges from newcomers. Um, I do think it's a cool day to be a newcomer here, though, because um, in the next couple of minutes, you're going to learn a lot about this place. You're going to hear um, about what a grassroots kind of a congregation it is, uh, how democratically organized and led, and just what a roll up your sleeves and get her done kind of place we are. Um, so today is the day at 2 p.m. when this congregation has its annual uh, meeting, annual congregational meeting, and the congregation will vote on its leaders for 2024, and it'll vote on the operating budget for 2024. And you all have asked us ministers to keep you informed about our pledge campaign and our budget each year as we approach this day so that the congregation has an opportunity to make informed decisions together going into it. Um, and so that's why we're up here this morning with this special message. A couple of weeks ago, the annual meeting notice went out with the budget in it, and you saw then, and we talked about it on Sunday a couple of weeks ago, that the budget had a um, $117,000 deficit. We were going into a very tough-looking budget year. Uh, since then, since a couple of weeks ago, um, more people have told us what they plan to give the church in 2024, um, meaning they made a pledge or they increased their pledge if they had already made one. And those new and increased pledges added up to about $50,000. Amazing, amazing, yes. So that cut that deficit just about in half. Thank you so, so much for that. It's incredible. So as of this morning at 8.30 a.m., the deficit as it stood was $67,000. And we gave this pitch to the 9 a.m. service and we raised another $20,000 incredible. Yes. 13,000 of that was from people watching on Zoom. So yeah. Really impressive. So, but even, so now our deficit is down to $47,000, but it's still a deficit. That means that we are going to pass a budget that has more expenses than income planned. You know, and even with that deficit, it is a tight budget. For one thing, the staff get no cost of living allowance, flat funded from last year, and we'll continue to fund, underfund the UUA, which is really critical, and we'll have no opportunity to increase security, despite this being an election year and there being a lot of tension around that. So how did we end up in this place? We are part of a very large trend happening across the country to churches. So uh, 
Folks remember March 2020? Anybody? <laughs> so we had a dip in attendance since then. Our, on, back before COVID began, our average total attendance on Sunday was about 350 people. Now it's closer to 300. We've recovered really well, but that's still about 85% of where we used to be. And our attendance is pretty steady this year, but our membership numbers also reflect that. So prior to the, to the COVID, our membership was about 840. On Thursday, when we tallied it, up, tallied it up for the meeting, 714. Again, about 85%. So the math is easy. Fewer members means fewer pledges. And here's a harsh reality that we disproved, that we, we thought that people on Zoom would be less engaged and less likely to pledge, and they proved us wrong this morning. So we really, we're so <laughs> grateful for that. And I want to emphasize that what's happening to us is very typical to what's happening to, country, to, to churches all over the country. So we have a lot of people moving to Zoom. Everyone's having shrinking budgets. We are really normal in that way. It's true. And, I mean, these things happen in the long life of an institution, and this year we're celebrating our 75th year, it's likely that there will be some ups and downs, right? And this congregation has weathered difficult times before and shown a lot of resilience over the generations. And we're showing a lot of resilience now, too. Um, one example is by keeping expenses as low as we can. Um, we've kept our budget growth to only 12% while over the last four years, while cumulative inflation has been 18%. So we're tracking behind that. We're um, getting really creative about how we use money. We've managed to avoid staff layoffs, which would really negatively impact our current level of programming. Um, and I'm really proud of us for that. One of the ways we've done that is by getting creative about how we generate revenue. So we're sharing our campus with two other congregations now, and that's beneficial all around, including for our budget. And we also benefit from rental income from uh, the Vanguard building, what used to be called the ARC building. Um, and diversifying income streams is a resilient strategy for congregations in the uh, 21st century, for sure. One thing I want to say also is that um, while we have fewer pledges overall this year, the average pledge is up. It's higher than the same number of pledges last year um, in terms of the dollar like per pledge. And that is such a wonderful thing to see, like to see that the folks that are here are really supporting this church, like really showing up. They're volunteering more as well. I just trained a new crew for the pastoral care team um, this week on Thursday evening. Um, and so we're seeing lots of like beautiful energy all around. And wherever we land today with our budget for the annual meeting, we're going to keep doing our best. We're going to make do. The church is going to be here. We are going to weather this tough year. That's right. So on today, the day of our annual meeting, the question before us is, what kind of church are we going to co-create for 2024? What are we going to co-create? And I'm reminded right now of the words of our past president of the UUA, Reverend Susan Frederick Gray. She said that two things were essential in these times. One, that no one ever go it alone. And two, that no one have a casual faith. And I think that really speaks to the moment that we're in. We know what kind of year is ahead of us. It's, it's probably the most important election of our lifetimes, and there's going to be a lot of anxiety about it, right? People are probably already feeling it. And we're going to have all the normal challenges in addition as a country, as a city, as a faith community. And... We know that this church will be here for each other regardless. And we know we'll show up for each other, be companions on the journey. So we'll do that 
no matter what. But frankly, we'll do it better if we have a fully funded budget. Now, I know that some folks have already pledged all that they can pledge for 2024, or they're unable to make a pledge due to um, not having enough money or financial security. And we completely understand. To those who've pledged, thank you so much for all that you've done. Those who cannot pledge for whatever reason, that is great. That is fine. I've been in that boat before. I totally understand. And, you know, every Sunday when we um, do the... Uh, invitations at the end of the service, we talk about all the many ways to get involved and participate in this church and to support it with time and other gifts. So all of it uh, comes together. For those who are able um, to increase a pledge or make a new pledge to get us closer to that fully funded budget, this is the last chance to do so um, right now. Because what happens today by the end of the service is going to impact the rest of the year. All right, so were you, were you finished? Okay. Well, I will say that um, the first service, so we, we raised another $20,000 in pledges, and I triple dog dare you, 11 a.m., <laughs> to beat first service. <laughs> That's a serious dare, folks. Triple dog. Man, a triple dog. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that one in a while. In earnest, though, in a moment, we're going to take up the offering along with any pledge cards. And as soon as the offering is collected, uh, volunteers will still add it, start adding them up. And I remind folks that they can still make their contribution to our Change for the Future partner, Casa Q, which provides invaluable services. In that spirit, let us take up the offering. Thanks, everybody. As we go back to questions, how many of you remember before the days of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, there was another NPR radio quiz show called What Do You Know? with Michael Feldman, remember that one? So at the beginning of the show, the host would say, what do you know? And the audience would say, not much. Yes, not much. You. So this is a song about what do you know, a song I wrote a while back. Um, and it kind of goes through a life of a person, how they know things when they're young, how they know things when they start getting to know a little more, and so forth and so on. Okay. What do you think you know for sure? How do you know what you know? Do you know in your heart that what you know is real? Or does your uncertainty show? It used to be easy. You grew up knowing your family. Your parents and your teachers and your leaders all told you the way it works, the way things go. And you study in school and you play the game and the winners are golden and the losers are lame. Everything makes perfect sense in the world you know. What do you think you know for sure? How do you know what you know? Do you know in your heart that what you know is real? Or does your uncertainty show? Then it gets queasy, you start by reading a book or two. The authors and the artists and the gurus all tell you there are other lives, there are other views. And you travel abroad and you open your mind and the people are crazy and gorgeous and kind. Nothing makes sense in the world you thought you knew. What do you think you know for sure? How do you know what you know? Do you know in your heart that what you know is real? Or does your uncertainty show? 
it's just dicey, you go and Google your every need. The bloggers and the pundits and the hackers, I'll tell you the way it's framed, the way things spin. And you follow the ones who tweet what you think, and they lead you right over the cyber brink. They weave a web of sense that you can live in. What do you think you know for sure? How do you know what you know? Do you know in your heart that what you know is real? Or does your uncertainty show? It's making you dizzy, so you start by taking a breath or two. Your muscles and your innards and your heartbeat, I'll tell you what makes you well, what makes you whole. And you quiet your mind and you listen inside. A truth comes down that you cannot hide. You sense the way that you feel might heal your soul. What do you think you know for sure? How do you know what you know? You know in your heart that what you feel is real. You know in your heart that what you feel is real. You know in your heart that what you feel is real. You know in your heart that what you feel is Thank you. Thanks, Susan. So, we're up here without a sermon script. Terrifying. I dreamed about this like a couple weeks ago, as I have over the years many, many times. Oh, my I'm God. Up in the pulpit with no script, and in the dream I said, this is just like an anxiety dream I always have. <laughs> But today is better than that because we've been collecting your questions. Last week we collected a ton of questions. In fact, the most we've gotten for a question box sermon in a few years, I think. It's really fun. So exciting. So let's see, Let let's see where this thing goes. All right. And by the way, we're using all different questions from what we answered this morning. So fresh info. <clears throat> hey, Angela. What part of your job surprises you in providing great joy? Is that lovely? <laughs> yes, it, it gives is. You great joy in your job, Angela. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, I could think of two things right away that, that come to mind. One is when um, kids or babies um, come up to hug me. It's just the best. I'm just let let it be known to all the kids and babies that Angela likes hugs. <laughs> <laughs> I love just getting to know our community, like all the ages. Um, and another one is the stories that come up at memorial services. I just led one the other night right here in the sanctuary. We brought the microphone down and um, invited people to share their memories. And it was so funny and sweet and beautiful. And you just get such an appreciation for a human life and all of its richness. Oh my gosh, there's so much. I mean, one of my core theologies is that when we gather and in right relationship, we conjure something bigger. We conjure the holy or the divine. And that happens in big groups and in small groups. And so whenever I'm with folks with serious intent and we're maybe in a class or maybe it's a one-on-one -on -one pastoral care thing, uh, I feel that and it, it enlivens me. It gives me great joy. Angela and I talk about um, a thing we experience, which is the beautiful pain which is like when we show up for folks and witness the hard thing that they're going through, it's painful for us, 
But there's something sacred about that pain because we're in, we're walking the journey with them. Mm. So super joyful thing. I also just like look around, and this is a big church, so half the time I have no idea. I, mean, I don't know everything that's going on. Not, I have no idea, but I don't know everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'll find out about some, some group of people doing amazing things. I remember like, like the great Connie Malecki told me like well past the quarantine that during the time when they were in total lockdown, 11 of her students became citizens, and they did it all over Zoom. It's that kind of thing. It's unbelievable. ESL program. It happens all the time in this yeah. church. Mm, amazing. All right, so you hold it. All right, my yeah, turn. You betcha. Let's see. Let's see. Dear ministers, where do you stand on calling our community into practices that honor and protect disabled slash immunocompromised slash elderly slash long COVID-having lives? via COVID and flu mitigation practices such as mandatory masking. Right on. That, I appreciate that challenge for us to be truly inclusive and be sure that we're welcoming the folks of every physical state. That, and we're always trying to avoid ableism. The way we're doing that now is that we're providing a lot of options to participate in the service. So you can watch on Zoom and be a part of that community. I know it's not the same, but it's it's probably the safest, or you can watch in the social hall, which is very, almost no one is there, but it's an opportunity to be present, be around people. Uh, You can come to the morning service, which had, like this morning, it had an attendance of 30 folks, and and, uh, masking is optional then, but a lot of people do mask, and you can really isolate, get your six feet plus in that space, and then, of course, there's this service, too. I remember, too, one of the things that we realized um, through the process of, like, figuring out how much to mask for how long, et cetera, et cetera, um, is that masking is inclusive or exclusive depending on the situation for the person, right? So we heard from lots of folks with hearing loss um, for whom masking was a big barrier because they could not get the additional help from reading lips. So for them, masking was less inclusive. While yes, for others, it may be more inclusive. So there's not a super easy answer here. We're never going to get it perfectly right, but we're striving to get there. We strive to do our best and adjust when we learn better. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so it's your turn. And I just want to say to that person who's probably writing because they, they, they have an, immu- an immunocompromised situation themselves, mm-hmm. like we love you. We still love you regardless. And let us know how we can better accommodate you. Mm-hmm. All right. Angela, why does this church not have lay-led services? That's a funny question. <laughs> Because we do have lay-led services. As a matter of fact, we do. <laughs> yeah. All Wednesday Vespers every week. That's lay-led, right? And you've organized some lay-led Sundays. Yeah, yeah. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. You can join Vespers on Zoom still. It's a beautiful oasis of peace in the middle of your week, run entirely by great volunteers, lay folks. Yeah. And then sometimes Sunday services are lay-led. Usually the one after Christmas is a lay-led service. Uh, and this one had a lot of lay leadership, but you were there as well. Right, right. Yeah. And usually it's the one around General Assembly is lay-led yeah, as well. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, our branches, our branch congregations are lay-led congregations in Edgewood and Socorro. So, 
Incredible. Lots of options for that. Yeah. Oh, and uh, CUPS is also, well, some officially commissioned leaders and some lay people. So there's a lot of different kinds of services. Sure. Yeah. Okay, well, let's see. Oh, wait. Uh, speaking of CUPS, we're planning on collaborating with them for the Easter service, the Easter sunrise service. Mm. So if you're a really early riser, you can come and see a service collaborate run by our covenant of UU pagans. They do beautiful services. Here's an easy one. <laughs> if God is an entity and decided to come to earth in 2024, what form would they take? An avocado. <laughs> the oh perfect fruit. <laughs> I think they might show up as an unhoused person. In a disability, you know, in a wheelchair, freezing in a uh, mm. freezing in a bus stop at night. Mm -hmm. I think that's where God shows up. Mm. If that's your theology. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I like the if God is an entity because this person's trying to get around what I'm likely to say, which is that God's not an entity. <laughs> if God is an entity, what a good question. I mean, I think they would come as. Um, Someone who defies categories, right? That's what God does. The one I believe in, anyway. The kind of thing I would call God defies a lot of categories, finds language overly limiting, is constantly asking us to get more creative and adjust and stop thinking either or, black and white, binaries, all of it. Yeah. I'm reminded that you gave a sermon earlier this year, I believe, or, or earlier last year, uh, and the title of it was... Uh, Trans people are the children of God. Trans kids are the image kids. of God. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Says a lot. Yeah. Okay, your turn. Speaking of, how can we be a better LGBTQ community, recognizing all generations, being respectful of differences, and understanding all points of views? by knowing each other, right? By being in relationship, by listening, connecting, striving to learn. I think those are things we do every day here. And, and yes, we can always get better, um, but we do a lot of it. Yeah, it starts with a relationship, I think. Relationship. Yeah, we have a fantastic trans support group mm -hmm. uh, where important things are happening. And do you want to talk about the new welcoming program? Sure. Because you've been running that. Yeah, uh, for years, First Unitarian has been um, a designated welcoming congregation, and that's a program the denomination started in the 1990s uh, to, to help congregations go through a process to improve their welcoming to LGBTQ folks. Um, and now, you know, these, has it been 30 years since the 90s, you guys? I think it has. <laughs> it's 30 years later, um, there, there's a renewal of it. Um, and so we are going through the welcoming congregation renewal process, um, knowing that things have changed in the last three decades and there are new things we can learn about being welcoming. So we've got a wonderful team that's working on that together. I see one of our team members over here and it's probably some, Judy, there you are. Yes, got a couple of members here um, that are gonna be leading us through some of that process this year. So you'll be seeing um, their action taking shape soon. I love that the premise of that work is that we're never done. Yeah, yeah. it's like a relationship. It's, it's not 
yeah, it's like you're always in it. You're always working on it, uh, and there's beauty in that work. Yeah. Okay. Um. Many have, oh, many members have voted with their non-pledges and have stopped coming. How do we meet the spiritual needs of our community and grow? How do we bring in younger and more members when everyone is so dissatisfied? Oh, my God. I heard someone in the back go, everyone. The church is dying. <laughs> Look, there's no one here. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry. I think it's important that we understand that, like, we do construct the narratives that we start to believe. I do it myself. I'm guilty of that, too. But we have to be careful about the narratives that we start to tell ourselves about what kind of church we are or what's happening. Uh, and I, I honestly just disagree with that, that, that narrative. We are shrinking, of course, like every other church. I will say, when people talk about growth, growth is, would be cool, whatever, you know, but it's not that important to me. What I want to do is improve the quality of connections within the church. And if that's happening, if people are really feeling connected, if they're feeling that their meaning and purpose is served, if they're feeling, they're getting consolation in this hard time, they're likely to say that to people, or the friends around them will notice that, and that will lead to growth. But that's not the reason we do it. We do it just to do church better. Mm. Amen, Bob. Uh, yeah, you can applaud that. On. Yeah. Also, you know, I recognize that there may be some angst in this question, yet seeing the church go through a hard time. And, you know, we're back to a membership level where we were in about 2010 when I started working here. Um, so we've, you know, uh, but we still have 714 people here. And as I said earlier, their pledges are strong. Participation is up. There's a feeling of joy in this place. Um, and so I, I wouldn't say that. In fact, I know that a lot of the folks that aren't, are not with us now, didn't leave because they were dissatisfied. They moved during COVID to be by family. Some people have passed away. Um, people lost their feeling of connection during COVID and then just haven't made their way back. Um, and so there's lots of things that account for that. I've talked to a few, very few people who left because they were uncomfortable with our diversity work, um, our anti-racism work. And specifically, I know of three people that left because I came out as queer. It happens. Um, but we've got 14 new members joining next week. And the folks that are joining now are tending to be um, younger and more diverse than our historical demographic in the congregation. So that tells me that the culture shifts we are all making together are going in the direction that we have been dreaming about. Um, and, and I feel really positive about this place. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And I think a healthy church is a church that changes, that continues to evolve. And it may be uncomfortable for folks who've been here for quite a while and expected this to be a certain kind of church. And another thing that a healthy church does is ask people to change along with it, including us. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and that's uncomfortable, but that's also where the joy is and, yeah. I mean, the deeper spirituality. Hmm. It's a great year to invite a friend to church, by the way. <laughs> what did you say? It's a great year to invite a friend to church, right? Bring your friends Bring to church. Your friend. You know somebody who you've been thinking, like, oh, I wish they would come and try First Unitarian. I feel like they might really like it, right? Do it. <laughs> how, how, many, how many people have you... Oh, did, did I do the last one? Here, last yeah, one, yeah, okay. How many people have you met at a party and described Unitarian Universalism to, and they're like, huh, I guess I'm a UU. I didn't know it. I hear that all the time. This is another one from our online folks. 
Dear ministers, I know you've heard this one before. How do we follow the first principle, which is affirming the worth and dignity of every person, without allowing ourselves to be mistreated when it comes to those who have done us harm and might hurt us again, especially those we have to, who we have to interact with in everyday life? Mm. And I'm mainly referring to emotional harm. That's a great question. I mean, the first thing I would say, well, first of all, if, that, if the person who wrote that is experiencing some harm right now, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, and um, I'm, we're here to support people that are, if you're facing something really painful and don't know what to do, ask a minister that question too. Um, but the second thing I think of is, you know, uh, if we're letting someone treat us badly, because we're trying to follow the principle of um, honoring the inherent worth and dignity of every person, we have forgotten that we ourselves are a person, right? <laughs> like, we count, too. Um, and that, you know, being in a loving relationship with others or honoring their inherent worth does not mean letting them treat ourselves or other people badly. Um, we can set boundaries with people. Sometimes we have to distance ourselves from them um, in order to take good care and be in right relationship with ourselves as well. And then those things are okay. But for me, like honoring the inherent worth and dignity of somebody else just means we don't, we don't do the thing we hate to people who are being hateful, right? We maintain our integrity. Um, and so when we're setting boundaries and dealing with bad behavior, we're doing it with our integrity um, and not just copying the bad behavior. Yeah, just to reiterate, we have no obligation to stay in relationship with people who hurt us. We have no obligation to stay in relationship with people who hurt us. And it may be painful to sever a close relationship with a family member or somebody you've really been counting on, but your safety comes first. There are times when healing happens uh, apart and not in that relationship, right? Yeah, and Sometimes. in fact, I think if you, if, like, by creating a healthy boundary, the person has an opportunity to, to reflect on their behavior and maybe change. That's true. But at minimum, like, you're saving yourself. And other times when we insist that we are treated well, healing does take place and a relationship is transformed in that. Okay, here I'm going to have you hold Truly that. happens. We've got about five more minutes or so. How would a person make an ethical will? Do you know this phrase, ethical will? I don't actually, is it a, is it a jargony phrase? I didn't realize there was a... Uh, yeah, it's a thing. Oh, it's a specific thing. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe I'll take this one yeah, first. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> I've talked about them from time to time. An ethical will um, is uh, it's like leaving your what you've learned in your life, values, like lessons, um, in some kind of form for the people that you love. Um, so it's like it could be in the form of a letter uh, or little reflections or video reflections. It's trying to pass along like wisdom, um, love, connection, you know, that kind of thing to the people that you're leaving behind. It's a really beautiful idea, isn't it? Anybody can do one at any time in life because we don't know what life's gonna bring, right? Yeah. Oh, I just learned something today. That's really cool, I love that. Yeah. And I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, do we you, got, you want to do the next one? Okay, yeah, go for it. By the way, the ones that are left in here at the end of the day, we're going to take these uh, in mind, keep them in mind for future sermons. Uh, this is hilarious. Um, is being a reverend enough to support you, your expenses, or do you have another job? 
Angela? <laughs> when would I do another job? <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> yeah, this congregation is very generous. Yeah. Not just financially, but also that we, this is a congregation that believes in renewal, and so we get sabbaticals every four years, and we've extended that policy to our program directors, like Susan, mm -hmm. uh, and I, you know, we're only as, we ministers are only as good as the staff that we work with, and we're blessed to have great staff, and supporting them that way is really important, so. Mm -hmm. No second job, no. It's a great team. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your concern. <laughs> This one has a lot of, like, the slash marks in it. Okay, get ready. God, colon, male, female, both, neither, here, there, nowhere, does it matter? Provide a proof in 25 words or less <laughs> or more without using the word faith. Pass. <laughs> um, you know, I'm of the... My personal theology is around this kind of thing is really uh, let the mystery be. Uh -huh. You know, I do know that I don't believe in a gendered God. Mm -hmm. uh, and unless, I mean, in, the, in pagan traditions, there are gendered gods, but there are a variety of gods, and that really changes the scenario. But having an omniscient, all-powerful God mm. who is a dude doesn't work for me. <laughs> me neither. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was more than 25 words, I guess. Well, that was an option on here, or more. Um, I'm just thinking of this poem by Denise Levertov. It's not really an answer, but you're going to love it. It's called The Avowal, and it goes, As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky, and water bears them. As hawks rest upon air, and air sustains them. So would I learn to attain freefall, and float into creator spirit's deep embrace knowing no effort earns that all-surrounding grace. Wow. Yeah. Nice one, Angela. Oh, I wrote that one on my heart the first time I heard it. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so beautiful. I mm. totally agree. Denise Levertov. Yeah. Is it, oh, I think it's... Is it, yeah, it's you. It. Sorry. We have to do, make it fair because I am a Virgo. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is another online one. Dear ministers, if you could hear only one hymn for the rest of your life, what would it be? I want to include Susan in this one, too, actually. Yeah, Susan, ask Susan. Susan I, I got to you know. know. Right, we we got to ask our music director. I can't answer that. I have to have <laughs> all of them. One, all of it's them. One. Come on. Uh, it would be a medley if it were Susan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, medley. All right. Mine, I am saying thank you. I am saying thank you. That hymn. Because, like, if you can get into that mindset, uh, a lot of the rest of things in life fall into place. Yeah. And this is, I mean, it's impossible to, to answer, but uh, We Would Be One mm -hmm. is a really beautiful, about the intention of, of being, escaping our individualism and being, a, and being a, a group where our specialness is still valued, but we think as a group. And uh, it's also Sibelius, that tune. I just love the music in that. So love Sibelius. Ah. Okay, I think we have time for... We have one more, and then you'll notice I put one on the outside of the basket. We're get, there's a reason for that. We can okay. get to that in a second. Let's do, let's do one more from inside okay. the basket. Right okay. I'm curious to know what steps our ministers are or will be taking to achieve our eighth principle goals. 
And I know there are many things that are high priority and demanding of your time. That's such a thoughtful question. <laughs> I love all of that question. So for, for folks who are not familiar, the eighth principle is an additional principle that we actually voted to take on as part as this congregation that obligates us to take an active role in fighting oppression, fighting specifically racism, but other d oppressions as well. So we try to weave that in every, into everything that we do. Mm -hmm. There, when we preach, we're hoping that we're, there's an anti-oppression element to it. When we're doing pastoral care, we have a sensitivity about different identities. Um, when we hire, we, one of the things we include in every job description is that if you want to work at First Unitarian, you have to have a commitment to working on anti-oppression. So we're bringing people in who share our values. It's just everywhere, hopefully, if we're doing it right. And there are great individual groups that speak to, are speaking to this work within the, within the congregation. Um, but hopefully it's just, by now, just part of the way we think and part of the way we work. Yeah, there are lots of things we do, but then there's the way we do things. And to me, like, that's where it's really at, too. Um, so, you know, things we do, we had a, the Summer Seminary Sermon Series on world religions, right? And we had some diverse speakers come in, and we, we incorporated some diverse um, sources. That was the thing we did. But the way we did it was with an explicit commitment to um, not being not culturally appropriating, right, to being respectful, to honoring voices from within the traditions that we were um, learning about instead of just talking about other people and other traditions. Like, that was an example. Um, we've created the Welcoming Congregation um, Renewal Team, and the way they're functioning is really... Um, Pro, like relational, like they really care about each other. They take the time to um, tend to the members of the group, to think through um, process. It is not just a task-oriented, like check it, check it, check it off kind of a group. So the way that we're doing things reflects the commitment. That's right. That's right. Uh, we sometimes we model. If we don't, if we're not conscious, we'll model white supremacy culture. Yeah, that's so what we're I'm trying about. to think our way to that. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. Well, I would say, like, receiving feedback is the other thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, just that, welcoming it. Like, yes, bring it. We, if you're committed to learning and to dismantling racism and to decentering white culture, you've got to come with open ears, eyes, heart, ego down, like, <laughs> really dive in. For real. For yeah, real. that's some of the joy. Are we All ready right. for this last, last one? Last one. Okay, so as I was folding the questions and putting them in the basket, I noticed that this one... It's from a 10-year-old, and I wanted to make sure we answered it. This person writes, can any age volunteer for things in this sanctuary? A 10-year-old. Yes, yes, enthusiastically, yes, joyfully, yes. We love having people like chalices. We, there's a number of other roles that you can have. You yeah. can be an usher. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we really want to have a multi-generation. It was part of our strategic plan, right, that we commit to a multi-generational campus. And we would love to have a more multi-generational service. So mm -hmm. if you're 10, great. Come on, let us know. We'd we'll love to have you be part of yeah, this Yeah, we want to know what you want to do. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Do you want to be part of a service? Do you want to help straighten these chairs that get all crooked on Sundays? So many options. Music, yeah, all of it. Right, music. Yeah. Absolutely. What was that? Dancing, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> There's something we haven't seen very much of. Anybody of any age could get up and dance. That's right. Yeah. Encourage that. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, that's great. Ooh, we made it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for everybody. your beautiful questions. Such good questions.
That's the song. <laughs> thank you, That's Susan. I am saying thank you. How about a little meditation and prayer now? Let's breathe together. And just feel the energy in this place. The energy of all those beautiful questions of being in a place where people do bring their questions, questions of meaning, longing, concern. And just notice how you belong here with your questions, whatever they are, with all that you bring. here in this safe sanctuary. People from many walks of life, backgrounds, even theologies, journeying together. In this spirit, let's continue with a minute of silence. If you notice your mind wandering, just gently bring it back. Let's lift up some prayers in our community. From my pastoral list, I lift up Diane Holdridge, who's recently returned home from the hospital after being ill. And we pray for her recovery. May she be surrounded by loving care. May she get well soon. What names are in your hearts? People and places? I invite you to speak them aloud as the chime rings so we can hold them with you.
of these we lift up. And let us lift up also the people of Gaza and the West Bank, the people of Israel and Ukraine, people everywhere suffering from war and violence, suffering from the decisions of leaders who are very far away and removed from their precious lives. We pray for peace, peace. And we acknowledge the unspoken prayers, all the longings and prayers that are too nuanced or too private to share. All who are suffering in any way, and all who are privately celebrating too. All of these we hold, all of these we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal and celebration that is known by many names. We give thanks for this day, for this place, for these people, for this community, for all the blessings of our lives. And we pray that we may make our lives a blessing upon others through our manner of being in this world. May it be so. Amen and peace be with you.
recognizing that we've arrived. Loving spirits, we live together. We're all swimming to the other side. We are living beneath the great big dipper. We are washed by the very same rain. We are swimming in the stream together. Some in power, some in pain. We can worship this ground we walk on, cherishing the beings that we live beside. Loving spirits will live forever. We're all swimming to the other side. Loving spirits will live forever. We're all swimming to the other side. Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful song by Pat Humphreys of Emma's Revolution. <laughs> thank you, ushers, and thank you, congregation, for your contributions uh, to our Change for the Future partner, especially I see lots of contributions in here. Thanks for your generosity. And I triple dog dared you, and you came through. You've raised $24,265 in this room. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Thank you. Woo! That means together between the two services this morning, we've taken another almost $45,000 off of that Incredible. deficit. Incredible. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Give yourselves a hand. Yes. Yes. And we've got a couple of announcements for Kristen to share. Yes, Talking indeed. Well, sort of, of one day. big announcement. Um, so as you've probably figured out, because it's been mentioned a few times, our annual meeting is today at 2 o'clock. And um, that is where we will vote on this budget we've been talking about and select our leadership for the next year. Um, so good stuff going on and also our Change for the Future partners. Um, that is at 2 o'clock. Sign-in starts at 1.15. Uh, it's also on Zoom. And everyone's invited. You have to have been a, um, a member in good standing since December 31st to vote. Uh, what else have I not said yet? There'll be childcare available in the RE building. Um, and if you're here in person for that, um, before the meeting, there will be a soup lunch with a $5 suggested donation. And that will be a, um, a fundraiser for our 75th anniversary celebration fund. So um, that'll be exciting. Um, and after lunch, you can meet the candidates for the Change for the Future um, partners, uh, I think, here in the building, in the, in the, in the social hall. Right. Uh, yeah, and I think that's all the points. Fantastic. If you're a visitor here for the first or second time, we just want to welcome you. I'm, I've decided that we're going to stop outing, making people out themselves and endure the, like putting their hand up. If you're here, know that we, we're glad that you're here. And if you, get, if you get an opportunity, check out the welcome table. Feel free to come to Angela and I if you have any questions or our director of congregational life, Lara, Lara Magnuson. All right. And for all of us, why don't we rise and body your spirit for our peace blessing, one hand on our hearts, the other hand reaching out to our companions on the journey, sharing peace. We're glad you're here. Blessed be. You're up. While you're up, if you want to join in singing this little light of mine, if you want the book, it's number 118 in the gray book. If you want to just sing and clap, you can do that too. <laughs> Two and four. One, two, three. Let me get to wait a minute. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. A little faster. 
I'm sorry, I started that bad. I can't let you clap on one and three. Senator Raphael Warnock even held Joe Biden accountable for clapping on two and four, so we have to clap on two and four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. There you go. This little Let it shine. And take courage, friends. In the words of Wayne Arneson, the way is often hard, the path is never clear, and the stakes are very high. Take courage, for deep down there is another truth. You are not alone. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.